Blog Talk Radio. Hey, what's cracking and good evening. Welcome to Fat Man Radio and I am your host, Darren McDuffie. So tonight we have a guest. I'm super pumped about her. Um, I kind of spied her out through Facebook and she has some interesting, interesting things to say regarding self-esteem and weight loss. I'm really looking forward to this show. But before I bring Leanne Ellington, Ellington on, um, I wanted to make sure that you are participating and helping me with Fat Man Radio. I want active participation. So go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash uh, Fat Man Radio Show, and like the fan page. I'm really trying to build that fan page. And also go to my blog. I did a really interesting article about athlete, uh, athlete endorsements, uh, and I have some good quotes in there from Michael Phelps, who actually endorsed uh, Subway, never tried the product. He endorsed, ended up endorsing Subway and then took his endorsement back. One of the really, He's an athlete that I admire for being able to take his endorsement back for a product that tastes like crap. So... <laughs> So go through the blog is imthefatman.com, exactly like how it sounds, imthefatman.com. And uh, as I said, I have Leanne Ellington on tonight, and I can't wait to get into the show. I'm getting ready to bring her on. So I'll bring her on. Give me a few seconds here. Leanne, welcome to Fat Man Radio. Thanks, Darren. All right, so... Like I told everyone um, from the beginning, I saw some interesting things that you put on Facebook, and uh, I was very interested in getting you on the show because I thought you had a lot of great things to say. But before I do, before we get into your actual journey, there's something that you probably don't know is that I was following you. You were one of the people that I followed and looked up to when I had my boot camp. I actually patterned my website and I patterned my um, video off of what I saw on your website. I think it was um, Not Your Average Boot Camp and I was going to that oh. site religiously <laughs> back and forth when I was doing my boot camp because I had no idea what I was doing and I was just oh, patterned. Cool. Hey, I, welcome yeah. to the club. <laughs> yeah, so I patterned, a lot of my, yeah, I patterned a lot of my stuff off of your website. So um just wanted you to know that, just a tidbit of information there. But Tell us about your journey. I always ask guests about their journey, how they got into the this crazy game of health and wellness. Right. Well, well, thanks for having me, and um, you're always welcome to check out and stalk any of my sites. I, I do the research <laughs> myself, and I have a lot of other people that I kind of, um, you know, take little bits and pieces from and make it my own, too. So feel, feel free. Um, in terms of my journey, uh, what – what brought me to where I am right now is I, I got into the, the health and fitness industry simply because I wasn't, I didn't feel great about my body. I was overweight, was never active as a kid. And I, I finally just uh, decided one day for the most part that I was just, I was ready to figure this thing out. And I, I found a lot of the wrong things and a lot of the right things. And when I did see some success, I kind of in a way, fairly immediately fell in love with the idea of teaching it and helping people find their way too. Even when I was still fairly overweight, I, I went back to school and um, started studying to be a personal trainer. And I was always just really intrigued by the mindset side of it. Um, all along, I kind of knew that it wasn't just a food and fitness thing, that there was some something about the mind that went along with it. But I didn't have enough experience or hindsight to really know how to put the two together. 
And it wasn't until after I lost the weight that I really found I had conquered a lot of things that I needed to conquer in order to stay this way for the rest of my life. But in terms of maintaining the success that I had seen and feeling the way I really wanted to feel, I still, even at my lowest body weight, felt like that wasn't it, like there was something I was still missing. Um, and a lot of, of things happened in between then and now, including um, I had a back debilitating injury and had to have major spine surgery and had to kind of have create my own transformation in that sense of the word, too, in terms of getting my body moving better. But bringing it all together to, to where I am right now, uh, my my belief system about food and nutrition and um, and movement and how to get and maintain those results that we're all so desperately seeking, they've kind of changed and shifted over the years. And to, to where I am right now, I, I believe that there is this massive connection and there's a bridge that, that I'm, I'm hoping will be really gapped in, the, in our industry to really connect the mindset side of things. And, and what I mean by that, First of all, is just the, okay, I know what to do, but how do I get myself to actually do it and follow through with it side of things? But also the beliefs that we have about ourselves, as in, you know, I mean, the, the example I could give, I could give a thousand examples, but just, you know, wanting to lose the weight, but thinking things like, well, it's never really going to happen to me anyways, or I've tried this a thousand times and it hasn't been a success. Why would this one be any different? So yep. things like that, the, the thought process that, that tie into it all so from the habits to the belief side, I feel is is the biggest, if not the uh, missing component to bringing it all together and making long-lasting change. So I think that was my roundabout way of answering your question of what my journey was that brought <laughs> us here. Um, and so there's, you know, I've I've so much in between I could say, but I'll just I'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> yeah. So you said you were overweight. How overweight were you? How many pounds were you overweight? If you can put a number on it. Yeah. At at the highest for me when I stopped weighing myself, I was around 240 pounds. Um, it wasn't crazy long after that point that I um, bit the you know was just had 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 enough where the pain threshold was so high that I just decided I couldn't live that way anymore. Um, so, but approximately 100 pounds of fat, um, give or take, and it's you know gone up and down a little bit over the years, but in the past few years it's been really consistent and just um, more so that finding a healthy weight. It's been more for me high, finding that. Uh, healthy feeling body that I feel good in and feel that I look good in. So it's uh, my, I guess you could say my definition of, of uh, change and transformation of my body has, has shifted over the years. But in terms of pounds, it was about a hundred pound loss um, from, from my heaviest. Now you, you said you were overweight. Did this weight come about as, as you were a teenager adult or were you always, were you, did you have problems with your weight when you were a kid as well? Um, you know, it's it's an interesting question. I always grew up, since the age of seven, I remember feeling like I had a weight problem. Um, that's the first time I, would, I went to Weight Watchers. And, um, and it's interesting because I, I look back at pictures now. My mom was actually taking our photo albums and trying to, and digitizing all the old photos. And I came across a picture of myself at the age of seven. And I looked at the picture and I was chubby. Um, but I wasn't as fat as I remember myself being at seven. So um, I always remember 
being fat or feeling fat uh, since that age, but um, around middle school, high school is when I actually started to really put on the weight. Um, high school, college was, was college was my heaviest. That's when I was at that 240, um, and that's the point in time when I just I got really sick of it. So in answer to your question, I was always overweight and chubby. I always felt a lot fatter than I was when I was younger, and then it wasn't until middle school, high school that I actually started to fill in that gap, you know, actually, literally. Yeah, so what what was the, the final – the final curtain call for you, so to speak, to say, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm getting, I'm, I want to change. So what what made you want to change? Um, you know, there was so many things that, I mean, from I wanted to feel beautiful and hot and sexy because, and all those things that any college girl and younger wants to feel at the time, right, um, to mm-hmm. I wanted to fit in clothes. I was really sick of going to stores that I couldn't fit into the cute clothes that all my friends were wearing. And all that was fine and dandy and made me, you know, not love my body. But it wasn't, for some reason, I don't know why, but it wasn't that the thing that tipped me over my point. The thing that tipped me over the point where I experienced enough pain that I decided I wasn't ever going back was, uh, an incident that up until a few years ago, I, I pretty much didn't ever speak of again, with the exception of my best friend who was there. And what happened was I was at a party and people were hanging out in the living room and, and uh, people were sitting on this coffee table and using it as a bench. And when the couches were all filled, when I got in the room, I saw other people sitting on the coffee table. And so I was like, oh, okay, people can sit on the coffee table. Well, I sat on it and the glass on top of it shattered. And fortunately, I was around people that loved me and cared about me, and I, I just got up and I I ran out of that room, and it's kind of a blank to me. But I remember going to my car and crying and going home, and my best friend, like, took care of it and, and kind of smoothed over the situation. And fortunately, I paid for the glass. I went over to their house the next day and was like, here, let me pay for it. And I felt I had so much embarrassment and shame and all the things that, it, you know, I felt humiliated even though nobody really made a big deal out of it. It was I was the only one who felt that way. It was that moment that I experienced enough pain that I was just, I, it, not to sound dramatic, but it's one of those moments where your life flashes before your eyes and, and you see yourself feeling this way the rest of your life, and it's like, okay, decision time. Am I going to go down this road or am I going to do something about it and make a change? And that was the beginning of it, and there were still a lot of wrong roads and dead roads down after that, but that was really the thing that got me going. I um, joined Weight Watchers, and I started walking and all the things that you do when you first go to learn about getting healthy. Right. And was it a fast process? Because I know dealing with people from a personal training aspect, it's like they want results like that. It's like, okay, I want these results. I want them quickly. But the thing that I think people forget is that it's not – you didn't gain the weight fast. You gained the weight over time, and people don't right. realize that. So um, was there – how long did it take you to get to that weight where you were comfortable at and you said, you know what, now this is it. This is where I want to be. Right, right. Um, you know, the point that, that, I'm ta- that I'm referring to was probably about uh, 10 years ago, a little bit more maybe. And I'll tell you this. There was about maybe like – 
three years later or while I was learning how to be a personal trainer is when I got to the point that I knew I would never go back to like my old, old ways to the just completely eating crap and being sedentary. I was already indoctrinated into a healthy lifestyle. But even as I was getting into my fitness and training career, I still struggled with that whole yo-yo effect where I could get results like no other. I could get it for myself and for my clients. But I was still, um, because of my, you know, belief in myself and my self-esteem and my confidence in, my, in myself in general, I was still not fully in control of, of all of the variables. I was experiencing the same things that my clients were experiencing where it was a matter of, okay, I know what to do, but, but why am I not doing it? And in hindsight, I could tell you exactly why I wasn't doing the things I needed to do to get where I thought I wanted to go. But at the time, I didn't know what I didn't know. So in answer to your question, there was that point in time when I said, okay, cool, I've got this. I've got this down. I know how to get and produce results like clockwork. But if you were to ask me the point in time when I actually felt in control and fully proactive and responsive instead of reactive to my life and my environment, I would say it probably wasn't until a couple years ago when I actually learned about, instead of just looking at it from a calories in, calories out perspective and just a move Mm -hmm. more, harder, faster perspective and started looking at it in terms of how does the body work in terms of physiologically, in terms of, you know, emotional, psychomotive, all of that. How does the body work? How does it move, burn fat, you know, stay at a comfortable weight, all those things. And that's when I finally felt in control when I, that's what, that information is what enabled me to stop counting calories, to stop um, counting burned calories on my heart rate monitor and start really looking at what mattered and, uh, and get to the, get to the root of stuff in terms of, you know, feeling really in control of what I was eating and really enjoying my experience of what I was doing to get the results. Because the majority of times that we go get really, really awesome results, we hinder our experience in some way, shape, or form, whether it's letting our, our, ourselves do certain things or restricting ourselves, or if it's just we, we're very stringent in ourselves, we're miserable and we're kind of suffering through this. But until I kind of learn to look at it in terms of what's an experience that I can have, I'm still going to work my, my butt off and really put mm-hmm. in the hard, hard miles, but in a way that I can enjoy my life, knowing what I know about what happens when things go wrong, knowing what I know about what happens when I experience triggers that set me off track, knowing what I know about how life doesn't always go as planned, it's not neat and tidy, what's my backup plan for when things aren't always going perfectly. Until I started to look at it through those goggles, I didn't really have full control over it. So answer your question, you know, it's been many years that I've, really known I wasn't going to go back, but it's not until I, I really incorporated that last and final piece of getting my my mind and my actions in control that it came together for me fully. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I know this for me, and I'll, I'll comment on this, and I don't care. I'll throw my business out there. But I know when I was overweight, and I had been an athlete just about all my life, and I suddenly ended up 35 pounds overweight, and I remember getting up, going to the gym, and one day I was like, man, I just want to quit. And something kept telling me, quit, quit, quit. Did you ever experience that point where you, you know, you when you sat down that glass and you finally made your mind up, when you did start to see some results or things got hard, was it ever on your mind to actually quit? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I would be one of those cases of somebody who I quit more times than I didn't quit. <laughs> so, yeah, I experienced wanting to quit all the time, and I will be the first to admit that um, I did. And quitting is um, – now I look back on it. Every time I quit and failed, it I used to look at it like, what's wrong with me? How am I not working the system? What am I not doing right? And now I'm able to go back and look at it as just data. And it's interesting because right. the, the title of this of this show was, you know, self-esteem and, and weight loss. And the, my definition of self-esteem is simply the promises that you make to yourself and how much do you believe yourself when you make them that you're actually going to keep them. And so to me, self-esteem is, okay, do I believe myself when I say I'm going to do something? And so one of the things that kind of turned me around was I saw myself quitting all the time. I saw myself starting things and not finishing them. Um, Now I can look back at them and talk to them very just matter-of-factly like I am talking to you and label them as just like, yeah, I didn't finish it. I wasn't into it. I Something hadn't clicked and I didn't finish it. At the time, I looked at it with, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with me? I have no willpower. I'm self-sabotaging myself, all those things that we say to ourselves. But in reality, the way I I look at self-esteem is, like I said, you know, how much do you believe yourself when you make promises to yourself that you're actually going to keep them? Well, to me, the reason I was not keeping these promises to myself and the reason why I was always quitting or just not fulfilling seeing things through to the end was because I was making promises and, and commitments that I just thought I was supposed to be making as opposed to the ones that I really, really wanted to make. So, for example, I was still, this is before I went into major research mode and studied the brain and studied, you know, really deeply into the body and, and, you know, how our bodies work to move and groove and lose fat and all that good stuff. I was just kind of listening to what anybody in my industry was saying. And I'd be like, oh, you're supposed to cut carbs? Okay, cool, try that. You're supposed to um, not eat before 4 and after 4.04? Okay, cool, let me try that. And I was still apply. I was I was I had entered the fitness arena, but I was still pliable by the rest of my industry, and um, and so it wasn't until I got to the point that I said, "Wait a minute, Leanne, there's something going on here because I've we've all been in the zone before, right? When some, when our life is working, when you can't you couldn't pull our our eyes off of the goal when we're so inspired by something that. You know, a fire-breathing dragon and a tornado couldn't carry you away from doing whatever you had to do to get there. We've we've all been there, right? I've been there. So I've if, been there. Right. If we we all have that thing where, like, we just went after it and we got it and we didn't stop and we didn't turn back and nothing could have taken us, our eyes off the prize. So I knew that wasn't happening with all those programs that I had tried that, that I kept quitting because if that was the case, if I was so inspired by them – then I wouldn't have you wouldn't have had to motivate me to stay or I wouldn't have had to motivate myself, right? Right. So in terms of self esteem, how do you get yourself to believe yourself when you make promises to yourself? Because we're all so good about oh, I'm so good about my word. When I tell somebody I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. And we and most of us really are to other people. But when it comes to ourselves, when we make <clears throat> commitments to ourselves I find for myself this is the hardest part and when I ask all of my, my community and my and my clients what they say time and time again i hear oh yeah you can count on me anybody else can count on me but when i say it to myself i don't believe i don't follow through i just like i don't ever follow through on the stuff i say to myself or not always and it's one of those things it's like well why don't we we keep promises to other people but why don't we keep them to ourselves 
Well, what it's when we keep it when we're keeping promises to other people, there's some sort of there's something on the line, right? There's some sort of accountability. Uh, whether it's your friend will be mad at you or somebody will call you out or whatever it is. Or you might actually be hopefully inspired to just do nice things for other people and, and want to be reliable and keep your word, right? But right. we don't think about that when we let ourselves down with the promises we make to ourselves. Well, why is that? And what I believe is that it really is the, the mat- a matter of the difference in definition between inspiration and motivation. And it was uh, I had to learn a lot of wrong ways to learn the difference between motivation and inspiration. But inspiration to me is when you're so internally inspired because you want it so badly for you to be the person that you want to be that nothing can tear your eye off the prize. And motivation to me is when you want it so badly because of some sort of external force, whether it's what you think people want, what you think is the right way, what you think you're supposed to be doing or where you think you should be, or it, it could be a number of things. It could be actually somebody that you know saying, I think you should do this. But to me, that's the difference between motivation and inspiration. One, it really comes from within. Inspiration comes from within. And motivation comes from some external force. And I believe that the two, the, the distinction between the two is the make-or-break difference between following through on the promises you make to yourself. Because if you do just a little bit of kind of like backwards math, and uh, sometimes I'm I'm known for using analogies that don't make sense, so the the term backwards math might not even apply to what I'm about to say, but you you can tell me in a in a minute if it does. But if you if you look at it logically backwards or backwards logically, um, you you're not gonna have to convince yourself or motivate yourself to stay the course if it's something that you truly, truly, truly deep down in your gut want for you. It's those things that you don't really want. You're just doing it because you think you should or you think it might be the way or because somebody told you to or for who knows why. Those are the things that what's going to keep you motivated after you read that image on Pinterest or on Facebook that that made you excited? What keeps you motivated after that? Yeah, yeah. So go ahead. No, I was just going to say a lot of people just don't dig deep enough. And I know one of the things they teach you when you have someone that comes in for a boot camp, and you're probably familiar with this and and I've used it, is to really ask people why and get over the the whole surface thing because a lot of people will give you that surface surface shit is what I call it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I just want to look good in my clothes. but, But it's never that. It's always going deeper to really figure out what's going on because a lot of us have emotions that we don't really want to share with people. But if you dig deep enough and you get up under the the surface stuff, then you really figure out what really motivates this person. And I don't think that there's enough being done about that today. And I just think that a lot of people don't keep commitments because they don't get to that that deeper part of them where they're saying, okay, well, why why do I want to do this? Why do I want why do I want to lose weight? What's going to make me stick with this? And I know you can you can identify with that, Leanne. Absolutely. I've, it's one of the things that kind of, um, there's so many different things that I learned as I was going through my journey that for a little while I, I kind of got mad at the industry, our, the fitness industry and the health industry. Now I just look at it as, you know what, there's different strokes for different folks. But one of the things that I've really um, kind of chiseled in my mind over the years is that 
it really does have to be deeper than that for lasting change. Now, don't get me wrong. There's people that just, they really just want to lose weight. Like they might, they feel confident in their lives. They love their life. They're feeling good. They just would really actually like to feel better in clothes and, and stuff like that. But most people, it is it is deeper than that. But it doesn't have to be that much deeper to go find out what people want. And the the reason I bring that up is because I believe that it's it's actually really easy and you don't have to go through all this pain and sitting on a couch talking to a therapist, you know, talking about your traumatic childhood experience being left at a grocery store to go figure it out. I believe it's as, as easy and as simple as asking yourself the right questions. And um, you know what? I'm just going to share a couple a couple quick go-to questions that I use on myself and with my coaching clients. So I'll just share a couple. I yeah, call I was going to ask you that. <laughs> that um, are anybody that's listening, it's so easy to figure out um, what you want. And so they're not in any particular order, but one of them is is just even asking yourself. I have, I'll give you. Let me give you a little example, and then I'll tell you the question. So I had a coaching call, and one of my clients said, I'm, I'm either talking myself into something or talking myself out of something. And we talked about that for a moment because I said to her, I was like, wait a minute, that's such a powerful statement for you to, like, know about yourself and be aware of yourself. And she's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I'm either, and she said it again, I'm either talking myself into something, into doing something or talking myself out of doing something, like living in the gray. And so it's just it's as simple as not knowing what you want. If that's if if that's the case. Now I just I just played amateur psychologist and told you that, but it's what I believe. But here's a question to even just figure out if that's true for you, because that might be what I think, but there might be other people that see different things from that. So a simple question: If you find yourself in a situation where you don't know exactly where you're going, or you feel like you're going through the motions of things, like somebody wants to lose weight and, you, and they're they're eating what somebody told them to eat or they're moving how somebody told them to move, but they're just not feeling it, they're not staying motivated, a good question to ask yourself is, is this something that I'm doing because I think I should or because someone said to, or is this something I'm doing because I really want to? So that's one question that I use. Mm-hmm. And, and another question is, does this make me a better version of myself? Because here's the thing. If somebody tells me to cut out everything in life that I like to eat and replace it with very, very nutritionally not dense foods that leave me hungry and cranky and tired and yearning for the nearest drive through I'm not going to really enjoy my experience of life. And no, that doesn't make me a better version of myself. Will it make me maybe lose some scale weight very, very short term? Yeah, probably. But it's not making me a better version of myself. So I found that when I was doing the kind of go eat this, go move that way and telling my clients exactly what to do, I was actually facing more resistance than compliance because I was telling them to cut out everything they like to eat and and do all the things they don't like to do. So in terms of, of questions, I one of the questions I also ask my clients is, what do you like? What what do you know works for you? I mean, I have a client who is, she loves chocolate. She loves it. And she what she basically more or less told me is, if living in a world where I love chocolate's wrong, I don't want to be right. No, she <laughs> said that she, she really just, you know, I heard her say she didn't want to give up chocolate. And so I finally asked her, what would happen if we had a, a, a nutrition, you know, your plan 
that included chocolate in this controlled fashion because she said she also liked to feel like she was actually in control of what she was eating and intentionally eating. So we came up with some rules where she could eat chocolate in moderation every day. She set very specific rules in terms of this is how much I can have and this is when I can have it. And she it was like her treat every night. And what do you know? She's not crawling for the nearest, you know, place that she can get a big old chocolate cake or a bag of Oreos. She doesn't feel constrained, you know, confined or, or um, restricted. And she gets to have this little treat every night and still work towards her goals. And so I believe that there's no right answer for everyone. And, and so I, I think another great question is, is, is this program, experiment, whatever you want to call it, is it designed for me? Right. Is it designed for me? Yeah, I tell people that so, all the time. I, I tell them that you have to find out what works for you. Like a lot of people, they will look at different things. And I figured out a long time ago that me and people think this is strange. I only eat two times a day. But I always mm-hmm. noticed with myself was that I was never a hungry person when I got up in the morning, but I always was always told to eat breakfast, so therefore I ate mm. breakfast. But when I right. suspended that belief and I said, you know what? I'm not hungry in the morning. I'm just going to wait till 11 or 12 o'clock and eat and see how I feel. And I started doing that every day. And now mm-hmm. I eat at 11 or 12, and then I may eat you know, later on in the evening, eat dinner. And that's worked for me. That's what's helped me maintain my weight. I'm 43 years old. I'm proud to say I've never had any problems with my weight. But I found out the thing that works for me. But just like you were saying earlier, a lot of people just try to follow somebody else, and they get intertwined and entangled in that whole uh, cobweb of, okay, well, so-and-so told me to do this. Don't eat that before, after 8 o'clock. Don't do this. Don't do that. And then the stuff ends up not working. And then it also ends up getting them so confused that they are just sitting there and they're not really wanting to take any action because nothing is working because they, you know, they're in all different directions. It's kind of like uh, tying somebody on horseback and put two tying two legs on, on horses and telling the horses to go in opposite directions. So I think that's right. really important what you're saying as far as, you know, find out what works for you and incorporate those things. There's nothing wrong with eating a little chocolate. There's nothing wrong with eating, you know, some things that you like. I'm not one of those people that I totally wiped out everything because I suddenly became healthy and you know, I still like to eat um, certain things. But, I mean, I do things in moderation. Absolutely. And, you know, going back to the concept of self-esteem where, you know, you're, you're – esteem, your your confidence in yourself or your belief in yourself is only dependent on how much you actually believe yourself. So how much are you going to believe yourself when you set yourself up on a plan that wasn't designed for you that you know you don't like it, you're going to have to really, really motivate yourself to do it until you don't anymore. How likely are you to stay on that plan? It just we set, I call it setting ourselves up for a losing game. And what I mean by that, it's like we know from past experiences that this this sets me up to not really be an excited or happy camper. And I'm probably going to find a way to get off of it or only do it short term. It's when we know that information about ourselves, but we, we're not either aware of it or we discard it as useful information. It's we set ourselves up for a losing game. And so I believe that self-esteem is, is kind of calculatable, and and I feel like there's a better word than calculatable. I make up words some, sometimes too, Darren. I'm just warning you. I do, I do um, the same thing, so don't worry about it. 
<laughs> but I always define them. So I, I, I like to, uh, I, I lo- I'm so, I'm such a geek when it comes to vocabulary and just looking up the actual etymology of words and stuff like that. But then I'm so uh, just, cre- I guess I'm a creative person on the side where I just like to make up words if there's not a suffix or prefix that goes with it commonly. So anyways, um, but I believe self-esteem, you can set yourself up for this winning game and you can you can make it kind of take the emotion out of it. And and what I mean by that is I I talk about with my with my clients and my real gals about creating your own experiment. And the great news is about experiments is that we have so much previous data and research at our fingertips to set ourselves up for a winning experiment. And that data and research from our previous experiments is simply all of the things that didn't work, all of the things that did work, all the things we liked, all the things we hated, all the things that got us off track, all the things that kept us on track. If we can just account for those things and say, wait a minute, I know that my life was working and things were really flowing for me and I got really great results when I was doing this regularly. I also know that I got off track when I stopped doing this or when I started doing this. I also know that I tend to, you know, uh, get back on track if this is present. It's just finding the answers to simple questions. If you look at it more like an experiment and using past research and data as grounds for making it an experiment that you actually are set up to win and and going at it like that, and then your your results or your outcome is simply, okay, did this experiment work, yes or no, or did it work well? What can I keep from this? What can I throw away? What can I tweak? And then we can go do things one by one and variable by variable because in an experiment you wouldn't just, you know, change a thousand variables and you couldn't test which one helped, which one took away. It's It doesn't make sense, but that's what we do. We We get all excited about Monday. This coming Monday is the day I'm going to start, and we – start exercising, we give up um, Coca-Cola, we go on a diet, we stop eating fast food, we give up smoking, we decide that we're going to start calling our mom every Saturday, and we throw so many things onto our plate at once. Mm -hmm. But in any other area of our life, we know that that doesn't work. Why do we keep doing it? And that's part of setting ourselves up for this losing game. So if we take our past experiences and use it to set us up on a really good experiment, then self-esteem is something that we can calculate ourselves to be increasing every time we do an experiment because we're setting ourselves up for success and it's based on something that we actually want, not that we're just motivating ourselves to do. And so we follow through on the promises we keep to ourselves because we actually want to. But the challenge is figuring out what do we want and what's it going to take to get me to get there. That's the part that people aren't really thinking about. Just thinking about the action, 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 do more, do more, work harder, what am I not doing, add more, add more. But in reality, if we stop for a minute and do the math a different way and just subtract actually, take away what you know isn't working before you add something back in and get ourselves kind of not overwhelmed and give ourselves this clear mission that's not going to make our experience of our lives kind of suck so that we can't wait to get off of our plan. We're mm-hmm. so much, it's with such a better chance of success. And that's where you build self-esteem because now, whoop, I have a little bit of self-esteem in that little cup of self-esteem to go give me more self-esteem for my next experiment. And you just keep on building, keep on building, keep on building. 
I mean, imagine a world where everything you ever said you wanted to do, you actually knew you were going to do it, and you just did it. Yeah, I mean, imagine I, I, that what that world would look like, right? Exactly. I think um, if I could eliminate two words from the English vocabulary, those two <laughs> words would be try and maybe. And you can see it, like even in the Facebook when I put an event, somebody will say maybe they're going to come. And in my mind, I know that they're not going to come because if they straddle that fence, normally they're going to go to the other side. And that other side is going to be like, no, I'm not going to attend the event. And I think, um, you know, when I speak to people, or I go out and they ask me, well, what's the best thing to eat? And I say, okay, well, you know, you need to find out what's for you. And it's like, I want to try to do that. And I'm like, oh, here we go. They're trying, <laughs> you know, they're trying to get right. it. Either, it's either a yes or a no. And I think people don't realize the pot. You know, you talked about the etymology of words and how you like words. And I love words as well. But I don't think people realize the power of their words when they say try and maybe and right, you know, right. negative, negative talk all the time. So it's, it's just right. something I think that takes practice. Absolutely. You- you touched on, gosh, you touched on so many things. I, I could just, I get, get get so excited about this stuff. But I'll just, I'll keep it kind of short. In terms of, I completely agree with you, first of all. But in terms of of somebody trying, it's just once again, it goes back to not really being clear on what you want, because the to me, the opposite of try is the word decide, and the mm-hmm. word decide means to to eliminate all other options, and so. When you've eliminated all, you, you commit and you decide, and then it's not even, then it's so easy to say yes or no, it's black or white. But it's our fear of commitment only because we don't know what we're committing to. We don't know what we want, so what are we going to go commit to? So I believe that it's so true that if you, and I call that being in the gray. You're, you're just, you don't know exactly what you want, so it can show up as either, you know, I'm, you're kind of half-assing things. Like, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not not eating everything I want, but I'm not, eating what I want or you know what I mean eating I'm not I'm not going crazy and eating off the you know driving through everywhere but I'm not like in the zone we're just kind of living in the gray and so in terms of it it goes back to just figuring out what you want and then what you the last thing you said is it's practice it's it's one of the other things that I've kind of gone off on a tangent on in terms of my my academic studies is um the 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 power of, not the power of the brain, but the actual functions of the brain and how, for the most part, everything is a skill. Um, and I believe things like confidence, feeling feeling attractive, sexy, beautiful, uh, and, and courage, things like that, they're actually skills that you can go learn, just like learning Spanish, just like learning how to play the guitar, but just like those things, they take practice, repetition, intention, all that good stuff. So that's a whole other topic all in itself, but I couldn't agree more with what you said about the difference between trying something and actually committing and deciding and doing something, and then also the concept of just practicing who you want to be, not what you want to do, practice who you want to be. Yeah, yeah. I think we got a question. Let me um, let me go to the, uh, to the phone line. Yeah. Caller from the 843, what's your name and where are you calling from? 843, you there? Guess they're not we there. We got a runner. Mute. Yeah, I'll put, <laughs> a, I'll put them on mute. Maybe I'll come back to them. Maybe they Hello, just called in the list. Hello, is the refrigerator running? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> 
But yeah, I um I totally agree with you. Now let's get into um more aspects of just talking about women because when I had my boot camp I dealt with women and I, I saw a lot of really just kind of low self esteem issues. And um what are some of the things cuz I know your boot camp you mainly dealt with women, correct? Yes, I I yeah. I deal exclusively with women. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the things that you see that are are stopping women um when it comes to low self-esteem? I know for me there's a lot of stuff that I see in the media that I don't really agree with and it's just always that you have to be the size of a twig and you know men don't like curves and all of this stuff, but there's someone else out there that's dictating that. But what are some of the things that you that you came up against when you were coaching people um, as far as just self-esteem issues? Yeah, um, you know, I think there's there's two kind of sectors of that, and I would I would put it into two different categories. And one would be self-esteem, like we talked about your belief in yourself when you make promises to yourself. And I think the other big one would be self-image, how you see and perceive yourself. And so um, I think those two things are the biggest roadblocks, and, and what comes into play in, in terms of that are, you know, confidence is a big one. You know, it's belief in oneself and, um, and, feeling, and just feeling belief in yourself. So confidence can show up in, in so many different ways, whether it's how you walk into a room to, yes, I believe in myself that I'm actually going to follow through on this. Um, the other side of it is I, I think a part of it is, the difference between uh, fear uh, just being there and fear stopping us. So I think um, part of it is finding out what what's that big bad wolf that we're actually afraid of. So what I mean by that is, okay, everybody's got that whole "what if this goes wrong" thing in our in our head. Some of us let. It, actually show up and, and control what we do more than others, and some of us just let it be there. But everyone's got it, right? We've all got something. Whether you're the most optimistic person in the world, we, you know, you've got that side of you that goes there a little bit. And so whenever I find someone's really, really stuck, and what I mean by stuck is they're just, they're either in the gray and, and not really focused. They're either, you know, not doing what they're supposed to, kind of half-assing it, or just, really just kind of out mm-hmm. or they're just it's I know what to do but I can't get myself to do it there's just something that's not clicking and I'm not getting myself to do it and I find that just helping them identify what that is is usually a matter of finding out what are they afraid of and it doesn't have to be afraid of like I'm afraid of spiders or I'm afraid of tornadoes which um, we should play two uh, two truths and a lie because I am afraid of tornadoes and I'm kind of afraid of spiders. But anyways, <laughs> it's not that kind of afraid. It could just be, what if I make up, what if people see that I tried something and failed? Or what if I, because a lot of times it's not, it's, I'll give you an example of, of our perception versus what's actually happening. So, a very, very blatant example between the, there's in every situation there's what happened and what did I say about what happened. So I'll give you an example. A woman walks into the bathroom and the cap has been left off the toothpaste, okay? One version of the woman says, oh, how sweet. My husband didn't want me to get my finger sticky. That was so nice of him. And one woman said, the, the other version of the same woman says, oh, my gosh, he's divorcing me. 
right? What, the same what happened happened. The, to, the cap was mm-hmm. left off the toothpaste. One woman said one thing and one version of herself said the other. So it's all about perception, right? So right. In terms of what so, – so one woman may not have made it to her workout, right? And part of her brain – I'll actually use a real example. Didn't make it to her workout because she got a flat tire. I actually coached one of my clients through this. She was very, very upset because she got a flat tire and couldn't make it to her workout. And – when we were talking about it, I, I asked her, I said, if if everything was in your power and you had the ability to get to the workout, would you have been there? And she was like, yes, you don't understand. I was so upset when I didn't get there. Her intention was to get to the workout, right? Mm-hmm. It was out of her control that she didn't. It was a flat tire, right? So, right. But her perception looked at that as wrong versus just the perception of I got in, I had a flat tire. It was out of my control. It wasn't anything I could do. And right. It may seem like a very minor distinction over a flat tire, but it's a, it's. I look for patterns. I, I'm in myself because, by the way, everything I'm talking about, it's not me sitting here on the on the call being like, oh, this is when I used to be like that. That I'm referring to this. I don't deal with that stuff anymore. I've mastered it. That's mm-hmm. so not even true. Not even close. I'm still dealing with this stuff every day, and the stuff that I'm sharing with you about the coaching questions that I ask my clients. They're the same mm-hmm. filters that I use on myself when I get a little crazy or I get a little bit down on myself or if I feel like I'm getting out of my zone or, or whatnot. So everything I'm saying is, is in this, you know, I experience it still every day way. Um, but but simply the, the that difference between I had a flat tire and it's my fault I suck versus I had a flat tire period. I had a flat tire. (laughs) That's it. The difference between those two mindsets is a set of patterns that probably shows up in other areas of of that person's life, right? Looking for patterns. And so one pattern is I turn on myself and one pattern is I just assess the situations as they actually happened. What I call like reality, right? right? So if, if we can, if, we can look for patterns like that and then kind of show ourselves, wait a minute, that's just what I said about it. That's not what actually happened. It's mm-hmm. it takes a, a amount of certain certain amount of self awareness, right? Then we can go look for it the next time it shows up and then be like, Wait a minute, am I just being am I just kind of being a jerk to myself right now? And it's just a matter of asking ourselves when we feel something, wait a minute, is this real? Is this really happening right now or is this what I'm saying about what happened? Because chances are, that's where what's keeping women stuck. It's when they hit that point. If you can find where things, we talk about what to do, how to find success on a meal plan or a workout or a, anything, right? Mm-hmm. But nobody's talking about what happens when things are going right and then they don't anymore. That's where you find out the things that are holding them back, and that usually comes back to self-image, self-esteem, um, how they feel about themselves, and it's just a matter of just kind of facing the big bad wolf and exploring it, exploring those things that go wrong without shame or judgment, and using it once again just as data, and taking yeah. the emotion out of it, and not beating ourselves up and just saying, ah, oh, that happened. It that obviously wasn't the right route for me. Right. Let me. Um, if uh, we're about to wrap up the show here, I think we got like 15 more minutes. So if you have a question, call in number six four six. Seven one six nine three seven one six four six seven one six 
9371. If you have a question for Leanne and want to get on the air, call in, hit one, and you'll be on the air. I'm going to go back to this person and see if they are either just holding on, listening to the show, or they actually have a question, Leanne. So hold hold for me. Okay, cool. Caller from the 843, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? 843. Going once, going twice. All right. I guess they're just holding, um, listening to the show. It's so it's so funny how people are afraid to ask questions. And I used to be like that when I used to, when I was in high school. I hated for the teacher to call on me, mm-hmm. and I was very very shy. And it just so happens that you know my mom used to tell me all the time, closed mouths never get fed, and that always <laughs> stuck in my head. <laughs> It always stuck in my head, and then as I got a little bit more mature, I started to ask questions. I always thought people would look at me like the green monster in the room with one eye if I asked a question. But uh-huh. you have to ask questions. Don't be don't be shy. So um, there you go. Uh, yeah, one of my questions for you is that I notice this a lot, and I notice this with men, um, and I notice it more so when I was working with women. It's the whole self sabotage thing the whole thing of you know i'm just going to sabotage myself and just say okay you know what i tried there's that word again but um why do you think and i you mentioned this earlier that you kept you know going and you would quit you you go and you would quit why do you think that women uh sabotage themselves when it comes to especially when it comes to the whole weight loss thing mhm um it's funny cuz self sabotage is a term that i used to use about myself all the time and now if you ask me about self-sabotage, I personally believe it's something, it's just a term that we use, and it doesn't even really exist. Because if you think about it, how many people actually say, you know what, I think I'm going to go sabotage myself today. I think, yeah, that sounds good. I don't really have anything on the calendar. Maybe I'll, uh, you know, <laughs> run into a burning building or, uh, you know, so, so self-sabotage is just this personal uh, thing that we don't do it. Now, not on a on a conscious level, right? But no. I only form of self-sabotage that could really be classified as self-sabotage would be continually, once you know that you've been doing it, setting yourself up for what I was calling before a, a losing game. So the only form of self-sabotage to me in my mind is when you knowingly put yourself through something that you know doesn't make you enjoy experience of life that you know doesn't make you a better version of yourself. And so Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is if you find out, because the thing that takes us off point or gets our eye off the prize is usually the things that we don't like, right? It's usually the things that we don't want to do or that we're not looking forward to or that we don't don't like. We want to change and we feel this discomfort, this resistance, right? Right. So... If we can find out what those things are, and it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to figure it out because if you've been on enough failed diets or failed programs, and and most people have, right? Because what's, yeah. what's the rate of, of, you know, the retention rate of, of um, results is is not very high, just statistically speaking. So most people have a lot of data that they're just discarding and ta- and with shame, and actually not talking about it because, it's, in a way, it's a shameful thing. Like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. That didn't work out very well. You don't go talk about your failures very often. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you just turn off that whole, like, judgment of yourself thing and stop looking at it as, as a failure and look at it just as, like, wait a minute, that's something that was not the right thing for me. It didn't work. 
because if it if it was the right thing for me, it would have worked, right? I wouldn't be here. So go back at that archive of things that didn't work and just say, wait a minute, that didn't work for me. Let's make sure that's not part of my future plan. It's like, you know, people that say to me, hey, I'm going to start running. I, want, I, th- I, heard, I think it will help me lose weight. My first question for them is, do you like running? <laughs> nine times out of ten, now, granted, there's people that like running, but nine times out of ten, they're like, oh, I hate it. And my question is, why Why do you want to do that? Well, oh, I have a friend, and she runs, and I love her body. She's got nice thighs and blah, 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 and, you know. And it's just one of those things where we hear about somebody having success with something, and we automatically think it's for us, but without using our experience and our hindsight to know that it's not for us. Now, maybe you don't know, and you don't have any experience to tell. Well, by all means, go try it. Go try new things, Right. But there's this that's but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about this archive of past experiences that we have that is just pure and golden nuggets of data for us to go take and use to our advantage and and go not set us up for a losing game. And what happens when you don't have yourself playing a losing game? There's no self sabotage going on because you're not mm-hmm. sabotaging yourself. You're finding that it's easy to stick to because it's a game that you've designed to win with an experience that you like that also gets you results. So I think that the the term self-sabotage has kind of gotten a bad rap or it's kind of been given more more meaning in reality than it deserves and it's easy to just knock it out of there and say, wait a minute, I'm, I'll put it this way. If you find yourself constantly feeling like you're self-sabotaging yourself, I would really encourage anybody that's listening that's experiencing that to go – ask yourself a better question. Instead of why am I self-sabotaging myself or how can I stop self-sabotaging myself, a better question I believe would be, wait a minute, what part of my plan is absolutely not working? What part of my plan is really pissing me off? What part Mm -hmm. of my plan is causing me to not enjoy my experience of life? What can you take out? There will be things that I guarantee are glaringly obvious and get rid of those things and the self-sabotage will just you'll all of, a, all of a sudden find it's not happening. Yeah, what's, that what's sense? your Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What's your take on worthiness? Um, you know, some people just deem that they're not worthy. You know, I meet people all the time, they're like, well, you can tell that they, in their mind, they're like, well, I'm not worthy enough to, to get to this ideal weight that I want, or I'm not worthy enough to move forward in my life to do something that I really love, that's something that I'm, I'm passionate about. What's your whole take on that? Right, Um you know, I could go off on that. could be a whole other show. So with, to to make sure that I don't go off on a tangent, I'm going to be very, very concise with my so that I don't open this can, can of worms because it's such an amazing topic and such an important one. But I'll say a few things about worthiness. The first thing I'll say about worthiness is it's a decision. You can just actually, I believe, you can decide today or tomorrow whether or not you feel worthy or not. Now, I just oversimplified it. It's not that easy because I believe that your basis of whether or not you think you're worthy or not is based on all your past experiences and past what I call programming. So, like, mm-hmm. what what is your – who you deemed an authority – or uh, an expert or just somebody you looked up to in your life, whether it be a brother, a mom, a, a teacher, you know, a famous superstar, what have you? What input have you had going into your brain about what is worthy and how you measure up to it? Worthiness is just a, a measuring stick, a measuring tool, but the thing that is skewed is that we all have different units of measure for worthiness, and that's based on our definitions of things like what does success mean, what's happiness, what's you know, are what's what's good, 
what's smart, what's bad, and we all have different definitions of it. So without going off on a tangent, I think it's comprised of, um, A, it's a decision. You can decide to maybe not necessarily decide, okay, I'm worthy today versus I didn't feel this way yesterday, but you can go decide to do what you need to do to feel worthy, to upgrade your belief in yourself, right? And the other thing I'll say about it is not that it's not your fault, what you whether or not you feel worthy, but it really is based on the programming and the input that's gone into you up until today. And that yeah. is beyond you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And I shared this with you off the air before we even came on, that the fact that, you know, I started a boot camp and the boot camp didn't actually work out the way that I intended to be and that's what kind of pushed me into the whole nutrition thing. But I realized that that through that whole experience and the whole the whole what I learned was that I always centered my whole thing on failure, the fear of failure. Like, what if I fail? What if I fail? I never focused on success when I was having a boot camp. It was always this mm. whole fear of failure. And one of the things that I did, and I talked about this openly when I first started the show, is just started going to hypnotherapy, and she started working with me. And through that experience, what I realized is this whole fear of failure dealt with um, when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I had problems learning, like simple things like how to count, how to do multiplication. I had trouble learning my colors. And Mm -hmm. I always carried this belief with me that, you know, I had I was going to fail at everything. And um, I've kind of worked myself out of that by going to these hypnotherapy sessions. So. I mean, I wanted to share that with people because I think we, like you said, we all go through those things, and I think that there's nobody out there that's 100% confident. I've been, I played basketball in front of thousands of people, but I was always comfortable getting out on the court. But when I it was time for me to set up a boot camp, it's like, oh, my God, I'm going to fail. And I think a lot of people go through that, and it's just about uh, changing your beliefs, and that's what you hit on tonight about really making – Chaining your beliefs and really making something that's for you, individualizing your program so that it fits you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I didn't have anything else for you. I know that you have your, what is it, the real gal experience or experiment or what? What? What yeah. is how? Yeah, how can they get in contact with you? Right, yeah. We, um, well, it's, they go to the real, or it's just realgalexperience.com. And currently we have a seven-day mini experiment. I, like I said, I, I believe in the concept of an experiment where there is no, you know, right or wrong way for you to do anything unless you deem it that way. And so I believe the only way to go figure out what the right experience for you is to actually go experience it. And so um, there's the ability to download a seven-day mini-experiment over at realgalexperience.com. Great, great. Hey, I actually want to have you back on because I think um, an hour doesn't do you any justice. And once I get this show built up a little bit more, I'd actually love to have you back on and just have a show just for women because I don't think there's enough that's being done out there for women and women. There's a lot of health issues that are going on with our women right now. And I just think that, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I'd love to have you back on and just talk more in depth and actually get some more audience participation and have people um, ask some questions and have you answer those questions. Cause I think you have a lot to, to offer cause you've been through all this stuff 
And I know that there's a lot of people out there who are struggling with this whole thing of weight loss. And I, th- I think it can be easy. I just honestly think it can be easy. But it, it then it, it also goes back to the whole mindset thing of getting your mind mind right first. So I'd love to have you back on the show if you agree to that, Leanne. Yeah, I would love it. I this to me, it's like you know those people can talk about sports all day long, and people can talk about certain things all day long. This is the stuff that I am. It's it's my passion and my purpose. I love talking about it. So anytime, I, I I had a blast, really. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for being on the show. And actually, next time we're gonna make it a little bit longer. <laughs> and um, okay, but thank cool. thank you so much for being on the show. And um, I'll continue to follow you on Facebook and um, see what you're doing. And we'll have you back on probably in the new year because there's a lot of things that I want to do in 2014 and ramp up the show a, a lot more. So um, thank you again for being on the show. Beautiful. Absolutely. It's a pleasure, Darren. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Thanks, Leanne. All right. Thanks so much. Good night. Yeah, you have a good night. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right. So that was Leanne Ellington. I I loved uh, having a conversation with her. I think she has a lot to offer. And like I said, I'll have her back on the show again. Thank you for listening to Fat Man Radio Show. And next week, I'm going to have someone on, and we're going to, I think it's going to be another great show. Her name is Frida Mooncoch. I know I'm probably butchering her name, but um, we're going to talk about ketogenic diets. We're going to talk about what Frida eats, um, how she came back from um, illness and sickness by um, eating the right things. And her whole thing is defying, defying age with food. So we're going to talk about that next week, next Thursday uh, at the same time. So again, Darren McDuffie, a.k.a. The Fat Man, helping you become perfectly healthy and toned. And I will see you next time. Same fat time, same fat channel. Thanks for listening. Good night.